This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. As the conversations over trade continue between the United States and China, one important area involves various aspects of agriculture. And for our conversations, the need for pork in China is extensive. That country is the largest uh, consumer of pork in the world. Much of that has to do with the number of people in that country and their dining habits. But the industry in China is a good-sized one, but it is still a developing one. In the last couple of years, the Wharton School and the Penn School of Veterinary Medicine have worked with farmers and others on the pork industry in China in conjunction with the Penn Wharton China Center located in Beijing. Dr. Ann Greenhall is a deputy director of Wharton's leadership program and an adjunct professor of management here at the Wharton School. Dr. Thomas Parsons is an associate professor of swine production medicine at the Penn Veterinary School of Medicine, and they join me both here in the studio to discuss what they have been doing. And great to see you again. It's been a while. Oh, it's great to see you and to be on the other side of the mic. I, I know. You're used to can being we, over yeah, here. Can we do some cross-selling if here? You, if you would like. <laughs> absolutely. But if you like, you can take the microphone. <laughs> no, from, no, no, no. Okay. All you right. Lead. You're good. Tom, great meeting you. Thank you for coming in. Dan, thanks so much for the opportunity. Thank you. I guess let's start with how this program really started out in China, working with the farm industry over there about looking at the pork industry. So I think it really started through the opportunity the university provided through the uh, China Research and Engagement Fund. So it was an opportunity to go ahead and uh, improve our our kind of presence in China. And we've been able to partner with Zoetis, which is one of the leading animal health uh, companies in the world, uh, to start to formulate an educational program uh, for uh, Chinese pork producers. And I think from our perspective, uh, you mentioned the <clears throat> high amount of pork that's consumed there. As a consequence of that, there's a lot of uh, pigs raised there. So yeah. half the pigs in the world are in China. So if you're interested in, in pigs, China's certainly <laughs> a place that you'd, you might want to be. That's so, what I was going to say. That's like the hotbed for, for, for things surrounding the pork industry right now. Yeah. So it's it was just a great opportunity for us. And, and really the uh, <clears throat> collaboration with Wharton and through the, the funding program here at the university allowed us to kind of go in at a fairly unique level. There's been a lot of interest in terms of training people at what I call the slat level, at the barn level, so really kind of technical things. And through uh, the program we put together, we've really gone in at a slightly higher level and more of a strategic level, uh, yeah. impacting the decision makers in the industry, which is really a unique way for us to uh, enter into China. So as, as this process starts to develop, at some point you reach out to Wharton and to Anne, <laughs> yeah. because the business side of it is probably just as important as the actual pigs and the farmers, et cetera. Yeah, and yeah. So, so recognize um, we spoke about how much pork is consumed in China. Well, that's that's changed very rapidly. Um, in the last 40 years, the per capita consumption of pork has increased about 15 times. And wow. because of that, the industry has grown. So it's essentially every 10 years, they've more or less had to double their output. And so I think wow. you see that rapid, almost exponential growth in the business end of it, it's pretty clear that uh, they would also benefit from some extended business training. So that's really been the kind of the, the collaboration uh, that we've had here. So Ann, tell us about yeah. exactly what, what the Wharton side was doing in this. Well, uh, Tom sent an email to the leadership program addressed to Mike Seem, Jeff Klein, and to me. And I was the, the curious one and the conscientious one that picked up that email thread and 
went and said, anyone interested in working on a project having to do with the pork industry in China? And I said, <laughs> sure. That <laughs> sounds right. interesting. So I wrote back to Tom, and before I knew it, I was uh, engaged in this grant process and collaborating with Tom and other colleagues here and off to China in May of 2017 to work with 30 of the top pork producers. And we did a, a program that combined uh, content, you know, Tom's content, content expertise, and also a good bit of facilitation, soft skill, leadership development, which, uh, I, which I led. So what is, what is this kind of the state of the industry right now? Because when we think of farming here, we know that there's a mix of smaller farms, individual farmers that are that are obviously, you know, raising cows, chickens, whatever it might be. And you also have kind of the corporate side where you have corporate farms that are out there. What's the dynamic in China specifically? So that's part of, I think, what we find really interesting there, Dan, is that historically uh, China would have had a very extensive, uh, almost backyard swine industry. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in today, still a large number of farms, probably 98% of the farms in the country fit that model of having uh, less than 50 animals, so really almost hobby farms. But they only account for about a third of the production in the country. And the group that we're actually focused mm-hmm. on probably represents less, well less than 1% of the total number of farms, but they're producing over 25% of the pork in the country. And, wow. and there's been some interest within the government to kind of shift away from that extensive to a more intensive, structured, industrialized type model, uh, largely because it's going to be easier to monitor and regulate. Certainly, mm-hmm. you know, there's been concern in China over um, environmental impact. Right as well as also there's been some issues with uh, food quality, uh, mm-hmm. safety yeah. issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think the government sees the, the movement <clears throat> in that direction as a plus. And those farms typically tend to be more efficient as well. Because mm-hmm. uh, I think that's the other thing and maybe it's worth pointing out is that the Chinese pork industry is about 10 times the size of the U.S. industry, yeah. but it probably only produces about five times as much pork. So, so. then you're, you're talking about mm-hmm. then the efficiency of the industry itself having to be improved so that they can, to a degree, match the the productivity level that we're seeing here in the United States, which obviously would play a big role on the back end in China in terms of the, the amount of pork that could be produced and the amount mm-hmm. of mouths that could be fed. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. the challenge, of course, is as the population continues to grow, we're really mm-hmm. being strapped to try to feed the global global mm-hmm. needs. Uh, and I think you know one of the factoids we often throw out that comes from the food, the FAO, the um, Food Agricultural Food and Agricultural Organization in the UN, is that by 2050, the demand for animal protein is probably going to outstrip the planet's ability to produce it. So we're really trying to mm-hmm. understand how how can we be more efficient uh, in in these processes. So how how productive is the U.S. industry right now in terms of, you know, the, I mean, obviously, if, if China has this wealth of pigs, we obviously know that we have a, a, a large number of pigs as well here in the United States. How productive are we as a, as a country right now? Well, I think the American pig farmers would suggest that they're probably some of the most efficient and productive in the world. Right. Um, and I think the question that's out there and part of the reason why we're engaged is what's a sustainable model? Mm-hmm. I mean, in other right. words, the whole issue as to you can be productive, but where do you draw the, the line? And, and that's part of the reasons why we jumped in to China, because 
the U.S. went through that same evolution over the last 30 years. And you know, today, mm. probably less than 10 percent of the farms in the country produce 95 percent of the pork. And so we're interested in trying to engage the Chinese swine industry in a discussion about how their evolution is going mm-hmm. and to see whether or not anything that we might have learned would be relevant. But e- yeah. even from the business perspective, Anne, I mean, mm. you're talking about much different scale. Right. I would think between what the U.S. is looking at and what mm-hmm. China is looking at, mm-hmm. but probably many of the same principles are the same in terms of business and how you would want to run and how you would want to be effective yeah. by running an industry like that. Well, what's uh, what's been interesting and I've learned through partnership with Tom is that many of the top pork producers come out of family businesses. So these are family-operated <laughs> organizations that now are looking to professionalize. And so that's that's mm. been a real transition for them. So when we went out, we went to visit in May of 2017. And in September of 2017, the Chinese delegation came here. And we organized an opportunity for them to hear from uh, Mike Yuseem and Harbir Singh, hear them talk about their book, yep. uh, Fortune Makers. And they found that they found that really interesting to get a glimpse of themselves, essentially, but through the eyes of you know Mike and Harbir. And Mike and Harbir ended their talk talking uh, with the Chinese delegation and gave them a little bit of a tutorial on on strategic leadership and how to lead strategically. Another book that Mike and Harbir have written together. How 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 supportive is the Chinese government to have this kind of of growth? In terms of the industry, because we obviously I don't know how much of it is would be, quote unquote, state owned, but how much of it is actually, you know, farmers that are out there trying to make a a, a living for themselves. Well, Tom, you should pick this up. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think we have a real good sense about Mm -hmm. that, Dan. I think we're still trying to understand that. I think the other thing that's really important to mention about China when we look at it vis-a-vis agriculture in this country is land ownership. Mm -hmm. So there's basically not really private land ownership. Uh, And if you think about most farmers... That's their wealth. That's their equity. Mm-hmm. Often that's their retirement plan. And so the, the business models actually look different in uh, probably to undergo the rapid growth that some of these companies have gone through. They have to have access to both land and and resources, you know, uh, capital financing. And, and I don't think we really understand very well how that that comes about. Right. Because the incentive there, if you don't have the land itself, the incentive there isn't probably as great you would think. Right. Well, it's just a different it's a different model. Yeah. You know, it's just a totally different business model than what we have here. And I think that's where, you know, we're really interested in trying to understand where those differences are um, in terms of understanding what our experience, when it's mm-hmm. applicable and when it's not. And I think the other overarching kind of academic goal here is if we can identify knowledge gaps, can we then do collaborative research to help fill in the information they might mm-hmm. need to kind of negotiate their path forward? What do you think the the Chinese pork industry, those farmers, what what can they teach to the U.S.? Are there elements of this that, that maybe the U.S. industry has not seen yet China has been able to address? Well, again, I think we have to be a little careful about, you know, what's what's applicable and what's not. But right. certainly mm-hmm. they're undergoing, again, this really rapid, mm-hmm. rapid phase. And, and to me, I think some of it is, is um, you know, are they going to get the chance to not to make some of the mistakes that we made here, <laughs> yes. right? And then right. Yeah. if they figure out that course as to what's a sustainable, large-scale production, maybe we can then implement some of that here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And I don't think there's much doubt. I mean, obviously, with some of the conversations and that have been going on, and most recently in the last few days between mm-hmm. the U.S. and China, yeah. that that pork ends up being a very important commodity in terms of the trade piece back and forth between these two countries. Right. Absolutely. And Tom and I are, are thoughtful about going back to Beijing in May and meeting with the pork producers against the backdrop of these trade discussions. So what happens to the you know soybeans affects pork <laughs> affects prices so we're we're very thoughtful about walking into um, into that situation i think one interesting aspect where china may provide the learning opportunity for the us is the involvement of technology and farming because okay. uh, i think um, what you see is given the importance of pork in as a cultural mm-hmm. entity that many of their um, you know the Jeff Bezos and the, the yeah. and those types, yeah. uh, the ones who've been really successful in the tech realm uh, in China are actually investing in pork industries huh. and seeing how they can apply their their uh, their technology, their approaches. I mean, looking at even the use of artificial intelligence to help manage pigs. And so, again, you know, uh, they have great resources to do that here. And it seems like they're more, maybe more tightly linked to the swine industry than what you'd see in the U.S. So uh, the level of importance that, uh, playing off of what you just said, the level of importance that those people see in the Chinese pork industry is extensively up there, like we may see in other elements of agriculture mm-hmm. or other investments yep. that, that we would have here in the United States. It's just the understanding that this is one of their main drivers mm-hmm. of their economy. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's culturally it's culturally huge and very important to mm-hmm. them. And like you say, it's a big driver. Um, and towards that, I mean, that's one of the other interesting aspects about the Chinese uh, pork industry. The Chinese government uh, keeps pretty good track of what domestic price of pork is. And so when there's a shortage of, of pork, uh, the Chinese government will go out into the international market and start to buy, uh, start to import pork to help subsidize the the domestic pork price, and that has huge ripple effects in the in the in across the whole global uh, pork economies. So, how much do they ha- do, does China have to import pork at certain points because of the? I mean, you have obviously the the uh, the corporate side that is producing. I think you said a quarter. Uh, of the pork, and then the 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 smaller farmers are producing what about ten to fifteen percent. So I would think they they there is a gap that they need to fill in. Well, yeah, I mean, there's also a third kind of intermediate group between them that fills that in. Where okay. they where they tend to often have to go into the international market is when unexpected things happen. Yeah. A few years ago, they had a pretty severe disease outbreak that went ahead and reduced uh, supply, and then they've also been, I think trying to target what the exact right herd size is, okay. uh, part given by environmental concerns. And so, I mean, to me, what's amazing, two years ago, they reduced their herd size by the total number of pigs we have in this country. Uh, wow. I mean, it's just, oh you know, just the scale, right? Yeah. And and and, uh, and it looks as though that might have been a bit of an overcorrection because they ended up with shortages. And so they were back in the market because pork prices went, went way up. So that's often what they're, you know, just trying to control supply is really how they... Uh, how they tend to so go into the market. It, it, it's not only the technology, but it's the understanding from the business perspective of of, of how many pigs you could you should mm-hmm. really be having mm-hmm. on a particular farm, whether that be because of, of maintenance, whether that because of you know potential disease issues. You know, there's so many different factors mm-hmm. that kind of play in here. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think that's the always the interesting thing about agribusiness, particularly with animals. They're living beings, right? And mm-hmm. so there's all these stochastic things, you know, it's not quite the same as 
making widgets, right? There's a lot, a lot <laughs> right. of other right. biological variation, right? And, and so it's a much, you know, it's a much more volatile and a risky industry to be in. And we haven't really talked, Tom, about the rise of the middle class and the expectations and demands that the rising middle class has, including an area of expertise on your part, animal welfare. <laughs> yeah. So it's about oh, yeah. it's about efficiency of production. And also taking you know, care of the animals, taking too. care of the animals in and you know as best we as best we can. Yeah, I think that's been the interesting. If you followed the industry over the last forty years, I mean, the first challenge was to scale it up. The second challenge was really to start to get quality into it, mm-hmm. yeah. and then now it has to become socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we see um, as you get uh, a burgeoning middle class that has enough disco- disposable income to be able to care about where their food comes now they're starting to ask questions you know these ethical questions and are we are we doing right by the animals and that's really just starting to emerge um, in, I was in gonna China s- I was going to say was that even a, a realistically a concerning years past by the people of China looking at the the ethical the the welfare of these animals no I always say when life is hard for the people it's usually hard for the animals yeah. and it's only once mm-hmm. life starts to get better for the people, that then they start to pay attention to, to, mm-hmm. to animal issues. And really, you know, I think to me there's a hierarchy right now about social concerns in China with environment being the first one. Mm-hmm. Probably um, public health would be the next one related to both food safety and antibiotic resistance, yeah. you know, use of antibiotics. And then I think the the one that is probably kind of lowest on people's priority, but what we know from other countries and other experiences will rise to the top is concerns about animal welfare. And so that's one of the things we've been trying to do in our program is expose the, mm-hmm. these thought leaders to all these different topics and, and just at least be planting the seeds. And we understand that some, you know, some discussions are more immediately important to them, right. but others we want them to be thinking about so that, that they're ready. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School in studio with Dr. Ann Greenhall of the Wharton School and uh, Dr. Thomas Parsons of uh, PenVet. Again, your comments, 844-942-7866, or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I would imagine that for, for both of you, this is you know, still a project that, that has a lot of development that is available here in terms of both sides from Mm -hmm. what China knows that could be potentially beneficial to the U.S., but also Mm -hmm. what the U.S. knows, whether it be from the farming side or the business side, that can be impacting China. Yeah. 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 I was just going to say, Tom, maybe just to speak a little bit about what what we're hoping to do this coming May. You, for example, are going to visit some farms. Yeah. So that's, you know, again, I see this as really just developing a dialogue with the industry and and this two-way learning. And so uh, shortly I'm headed off to China in advance of our our meeting that Mm -hmm. we're going to have in Beijing at the end of May to go and visit and be on farms and, you know, talk directly with the producers and see what see you know where they have these technological mm-hmm. advances uh where there's room for improvement so uh, you know i see it very much as a dialogue dan and mm-hmm. yeah and then when uh i'll meet up with tom when he's done doing his tour of the farms and we'll we're going to have another seminar with the same with the same participants as as last year i'm going to pick up on a thread that mike and harbeer mentioned and that's the strategic you know leading strategically so i'm going to be working with mike and harbeer's texts and leading them through some case discussion which actually is also very interesting just for me as a educator and as a facilitator 
Chinese historically are used to a more directive, top-down kind of educational sure. format. Yeah. But Tom and I have been experimenting with more participative hands-on yeah. work, and really, much to my surprise and delight, they've been very, very receptive and open to that. And it's been a real uh, learning experience, because this is in translation, of course. It's not, um, it's sequential translation. So it takes a little bit of, of doing to figure out how to do a hands-on, participative, experiential um, format. Uh, but we're but we've had some success with it, and I'm looking forward to I trying think, it again. I think one example would be your uh, pictures of leadership. That, oh, yeah, and the yes. exercise that Anne does. Maybe yeah. you want to talk about that a little sure. bit. Sure. Oh, that's nice. Well, I uh, one of my areas of interest is perceptions of leadership. So how right. do we how do we conceive of leadership in our mind's eye? And uh, I asked the Chinese pork producers to try the exercise, and it was really interesting to see the kinds of images that they came up with and discussed. And at the very highest level, uh, there was a lot of similarity in the kinds of things that we would hear people say here. So the sense of leadership at its best is being more empowering rather Mm -hmm. than directive. Uh, So... So that kind of discussion is just interesting also from a cross-cultural point of view. I can say that the image is gendered male here and there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and that was interesting to have this discussion as well. And Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in uh, in our uh, delegation, one woman, right? Correct. Uh, of the top pork producers. So yeah. this is a very uh, male uh, male industry and this in this particular slice of the industry. But, but on the, as you mentioned, with the, having these conversations and having the mindset of it being more participatory, yeah. rather than getting the word coming down from exactly. up high on the mountain, right? That's a significant change from I think what a lot of us here in the United States have perceived to be kind of the path of the Chinese lifestyle mm-hmm. for decade upon decade. Well, and I think also the the virtue of the method, I think, shows a certain humility on our part as well in that we're okay. trying to come in and have a conversation, have a dialogue, right. not necessarily as the people with the right answer or the best answer, but recognizing, as Tom said earlier, what, what's been the path of the industry here? What mistakes have we made? What have we learned? How might we share uh, with the Chinese. But again, going back to something you were t- touching on a second ago, Tom, is the fact that a- as we move on into the next 20, 30, 50 years and the numbers of people on this planet continue <laughs> to grow, the Chinese pork industry is not just going to be important for China. Right. It's going to be important for other countries around the globe. Yeah. And I think especially <laughs> when you think about from a sustainable perspective. We can do anything we want in this country to make our industry sustainable, but on a global basis, if uh, you know, if half the pigs in the world aren't aligned with that, we're really not going to see a kind of global sustainability. And it mm-hmm. also obviously projects across to efficiency and productivity as well. Mm-hmm. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. What do you think then the, the dynamic of the farm industry in China where pork is concerned is going to be as you move forward? How will we see continue to see more individual farms or will we see more of the corporate larger farm kind of units come, come into play? It's hard for me not to think that they're going to continue to move towards that more intensive 
uh, what you call corporate model, industrial model of larger farms. I mean, one of the other interesting things when we think about efficiency is recognize when you get a larger farm, it allows for specialization. Um, when I was in vet school 30 years ago, we used to talk about corn planters' disease. So right. every every spring, there'd always be problems with the animals because the farmers would have to go out and crop. Right today. Um, the people that work on the animal farms, that's all they do is work with animals. Yeah. In the same way that you know we have doctors specialized in surgery, we now have people who are very specialized in rearing pigs. And so they just simply do their jobs better, and that really contributes to efficiency. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, that's part of the driving point that you're going to see in China is, is, is just uh, those systems are always more efficient. You know, again, on the cost side, there's going to yeah. be economies of scale things that are going to drive it as well. So it's, you know, I think that's going to be the, the the, the direction it heads. I think the the checkpoint there is, of course, when do you get too big that you start to lose efficiency? When right. do you go over the top? What's the diminishing returns there? And then what are the social costs of of that scale? Because, yeah. uh, uh, you know, one of the things we talk... Go yeah. ahead, Andy. I, no, I was just going to say, Tom, just, you know, to mention the environmental impact. So having those larger farms may be more efficient, yeah. but then how do we handle waste, for example? Yeah. Yeah. So the good news is the waste is concentrated so that it's easier to control what happens to it. Recognize if you've got, you know, 100 farms out there, it's very hard to regulate if you have the same number of pigs on one farm. Right. But... The risk is greater because if something untoward happens to the manure where it's stored, uh, which that's what we've seen happen in this country in some cases in North Carolina with hurricanes and things like that, then you get environmental disaster. So, I mean, the other thing we'd also say is often these larger farms have access to capital, and so then they typically have access to better technologies. And mm-hmm. so, in theory, they should be able to handle the waste in, in a more sophisticated way. But there is that risk if, if something unexpected happens. Uh, so it's, that's that trade-off. Mm. Great having you both here with us today. Thank you, Tom, for uh, coming in. And as always, great oh, to see you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.